Uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we look further into your word now, please be working in us that we might live how you want us to live. Lord, set our eyes on what you want us to set our eyes on, Lord, that we might run the race well. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, one of my most vivid childhood memories uh, was at a family friend's property at the foot of the Blue Mountains. I was uh, always excited going there because uh, it was this big property with so much to do, but also had so many great uh, animals, uh, cows, horses, pet rabbits allowed in New South Wales, uh, were all part of the exciting mix of going and visiting these uh, friends. On one visit when I was about uh, seven or eight, uh, we went and we met the new goat. Uh, from my memory, uh, this goat was massive, at least in uh, comparison to me. And I don't know exactly why this happened, but I ended up being put on the back of the goat with the uh, promise that it would be fun and exciting. <laughs> I hold on to its horns tightly. Before I know it, uh, this goat, now cranky goat, uh, has dashed off uh, down the driveway with me on the back. Having no experience uh, in goat riding before, <laughs> I, uh, I quickly let go of its horns. I don't really know what I'm doing. Starting down this long driveway, I'm sliding off the back slowly, slowly. Eventually, I get bucked off and uh, fall in a heap. What's a childhood without a mildly traumatising animal experience, eh? Well, last week, we heard... Uh, a great message, the message of the gospel. It's only through Jesus that we can be made right uh, with God. Paul goes as far to say that he considers everything else garbage except for Jesus. And as Tim read before, Paul says in chapter 3, 13 and 14, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul has his eye on the prize. And what is the goal? The goal is the prize of heaven. Being in the presence of God, being ultimately and fully saved and redeemed by Jesus. That's the goal. But Paul hasn't got there yet. I still need to press on, he says. And verses 15 and 16 from today's passage are a follow-on from those very thoughts that Paul had. Take a look, verse 15 and 16. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if, some, uh, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. When Paul says all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, he's saying that the longing and desire he has for what is to come in the future through Christ isn't just a Paul thing. It's not just something he should uh, think. No, it's a longing and desire that every mature believer should have. It's something that we should strive towards. For those believers who might not have been fully on board with this vision, Paul says, uh, perhaps they're immature, Paul says, well, God will make that uh, will reveal that truth to them. Paul speaks to us as Paul says to the Philippians, you've come so far as believers, strive toward 
future salvation strain toward the goal, the goal of salvation. It's true that we are saved now. It's true that we're part of God's family. We know that. Jesus has achieved all that for us. He's where our confidence lies. But we're still awaiting the ultimate goal of salvation and redemption, where Jesus reconciles all things. He makes all things right. And we too are to be like Paul and the Philippians. We're not to be idle, but we're to strain toward the goal. But as we strain toward the goal, it's going to be easy to feel like we're slowly slipping off the back. It might be easy to feel like we may even get bucked off at any point. Our lives are messy. There's real things that seem to cloud our vision of what is to come, the prize ahead of us. In times of busyness, stress, uh, suffering, loneliness, the list goes on. How can we hold tightly onto the horns as we strain toward the goal? How can we strain toward the goal of salvation? Well, praise God in his word here in Philippians, he's given us real and practical ways uh, to keep us on track. And firstly, we see we strain toward the goal by being eager and following eager examples. Being eager and following eager examples. Have a read of verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Paul wants the Philippians to follow his example in pursuit of the goal. There are plenty of other people that uh, the Philippians might have been tempted to look at as examples for how to live. And Paul kind of addresses that in verse 18 and 19. Have a read. For as I have often told you and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Paul's saying, don't look to people who don't care about Jesus for wisdom or as an example for how to live life. While running the race, don't look to those who aren't running with you. We're going to have different goals. And Paul talks about the enemies of the cross of Christ. He's talking about anyone who doesn't love Jesus and his ways, those who simply oppose the truth of Jesus and his death and resurrection. For the Philippians, this would have been those who were trying to convert followers of Jesus either back to Judaism or back to Jewish ways. Whoever these people might be, Paul goes to share their destination. As they now focus on themselves and the things around them, they're heading toward destruction. We don't want to follow in the footsteps of people that are heading toward destruction. I think following people, following non-believers and their example might be more tempting than we like to think. We can really easily be influenced by non-believers around us. Whether that be television shows that do more than entertain, they also teach worldly kind of morals. Self-help experts are plentiful. Influencers are urging us to put ourselves first. Money gurus telling us how to best expand our wealth. Perhaps it's even friends and family telling us uh, how to live or that's just not quite godly. There's not actually godly wisdom in it. It's gonna, are these things, they might seem good, 
But when the goal isn't eternity with Jesus, some of the life advice, some of the influencing that we might uh, get might not actually be that wise when we're supposed to have eternity in view. I think it's worth seriously considering for each of ourselves. How are we being influenced? So why follow someone like Paul? We'll have a look in verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious bodies. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Notice the difference here. For believers like Paul and Philippians, their citizenship is in heaven. A mature believer will eagerly await Jesus' return because Jesus is coming back to transform our lowly, our earthly bodies to be exactly like the body of our Lord Jesus. This is a great hope that our fallen bodies, bodies that we sin in, bodies that we might struggle with in various ways, bodies that may have been abused or mistreated, bodies that we suffer in, bodies that tire and burn out, these bodies are going to be transformed. They're going to be transformed to be exactly like Jesus' perfect body after his resurrection. The hope of heaven is a glorious one. It's one that Jesus has paid for. While we struggle with and in our bodies, Jesus took on these bodies. He was, he was tempted, he was suffered, he suffered in these bodies. And he ultimately suffered and died in a body exactly like ours so that our sin and our shame would be paid for on the cross, so that uh, the punishment for sin would be paid for on the cross. He did this so that we would be free, that our bodies would be free, and we would be given new and glorious bodies. As we look to the future hope of heaven and the resurrection hope of new bodies, we're driven to strive toward the finish line, there's a great hope that we have. Let's get there. As we strive toward the finish line, we're going to live and think differently with eternity in view. Take a look all the way down in verse uh, 8 and 9 and see what Paul says. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Paul, again, down in these verses, urges people, uh, urges the Philippians to look uh, to him as an example. Think about good things, he says. Associate yourself and your mind with things that are good and wholesome. If we have this great vision for the future, we have this great hope, we will want to be like what Paul describes in verse 8. Is that you? Are you shaped by the truth that you are a citizen of heaven? Are you eager for our Saviour, Jesus? Are you eager for his return? Are your actions motivated 
by the fact that heaven awaits. I urge you to eagerly desire eternity with God. Long for Jesus. Let your thoughts and actions be shaped and informed by the prize ahead. The prize of heaven, being in the presence of God, being ultimately fully saved and redeemed by Jesus. There are believers that are so sure of the hope they have that every aspect of their life uh, is shaped by the truth that heaven awaits. It shapes how they treat people, how they spend their money, what profession they do, how they manage their time, where they live, what they consume, what they watch, what they read, what they listen to. Someone whose eyes are set on eternity will have their very thoughts and actions shaped so that they'll be more like Jesus. Seek their wisdom. If you see that in someone else, if you see a great example of this, seek their wisdom. Listen to them. Be encouraged by them. Consider how the future hope they have shapes their life. Seek to learn from people like Paul. Seek to learn from others as they run toward the finish line. When we're feeling like we're slipping off, being eager for what is to come, and being shaped by the hope that we have will help us to hold on and keep straining towards the goal. But also, as we strain toward the prize, uh, we do this by being unified. By being unified. Take a look in verse 2 of chapter 4. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion... Help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Paul pleads with these two women, these two friends, companions, believers, co-workers, Euodia and Syntyche. He pleads with them to be of the same mind in the Lord. We don't get the specifics here, but it appears as though Euodia and Syntyche were at odds with each other in some way. Perhaps there was a personal clash between the two of them. Maybe they disagreed on something. But whatever the case, he's encouraging them to be of the same mindset in Christ. Remember back to chapter 2, this is something that Paul has already addressed. Paul is pointing out again that unity is so important, especially as we look heavenward. It's so important that he specifically calls out Euodia and Syntyche, who are obviously important women in the church. As people who have been reconciled to God, we are to be a community of people that reconcile with each other, no matter the issue, especially as we're looking forward to heaven. Since moving to uh, Queensland from Sydney, uh, we've noticed noticed that we, we need a few things to deal with the harsh sun up here. Now, things that I certainly hadn't appreciated at all, really, before we came up here. Uh, You need fans, you need good fans, Uh, perhaps if you're lucky enough, air con. Uh, You need ice in the freezer at all times to cool your drink down. Uh, But one of the really kind of unexpected but everyday things that we've uh, noticed that we need is blockout blinds. Blockout blinds, I know, strange. I anticipated the the heat and the humidity, but no daylight savings. No daylight savings means that 
uh, the sun starts creeping its way through the windows at its worst at 4.30 in the morning. How inconvenient. When we arrived, it was in the middle of summer, and so we got a rude shock when we got here. Uh, we didn't have lockout blinds, so it was one of the first things we bought. We went out uh, and got them. We really needed them. You know, our church family is an everyday thing, an everyday tool that we need that we might not even realise we need sometimes. We might not even realise uh, how good it is. But we need to appreciate each other. We need to appreciate our church family. We need to see value in our church family as we look heavenward. As we run toward the finish line, our church family helps us, spurring one another on, encouraging each other in our faith, keeping each other accountable. If we're at odds with each other, or worse than just being at odds, if we're sinning against each other and we're not repenting of that, if we're not forgiving, we're going to be a community that is divided. And straining toward the goal is going to be harder to do together. Church is so much more than a service, it's more than a sermon. It's also about being a family, a family who love one another deeply and seek to encourage each other toward the goal. In seeking to reach the goal of heaven, make church, make your church family a priority. Know each other well. Know each other in such a way that you share the mess of life with each other as you move toward the goal. Life isn't easy. Life's tough. So make room for each other so that you can lean on others and others can lean on you. Open up your homes to each other. Be in a growth group where you can share life with each other. If we're doing church community as sinful humans, it's going to be inevitable that sometimes uh, clashes will come up. But be ready to reconcile. If you are in some sort of conflict with a brother or sister, I urge you, don't hesitate. Reconcile with each other. Do what needs to be done to be united. God has given us a church family to serve each other and to push each other toward the goal of salvation. So let's be a united family together. Let's live for Jesus together. It's going to help us move forward toward the goal. How else do we move toward the goal of salvation? Well, we do it by finding peace in Jesus. Finding peace in Jesus. Now, Paul starts this uh, little section off by reminding the Philippians to rejoice in all things. Uh, Take a look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Rejoice in the Lord always. Be glad in the Lord in all things, in all circumstances. For the Philippians, life was hard. Uh, They were suffering like Paul for their faith in Jesus. Uh, But we can also assume on top of that, they were facing the normal uh, kind of personal everyday struggles that we face now. But Paul tells them to rejoice. As Paul tells this to the Philippians, he's not just simply telling them to be happy in any circumstance. He's telling them to rejoice in the Lord. There's a difference. Our circumstances aren't always going to be good and joyful. We're not going to be happy uh, in all circumstances. Some circumstances are going to be really hard. 
But what Paul is saying is that in every situation, in the good times, in good times of rest, in times of uh, great happiness, but also in hard times, in times of pain, sorrow, suffering, we can find joy in the Lord because He is good. Even in our darkest moments, knowing the person of Jesus will lead us to praise and joy. We, will, we know that in Jesus we have more than we could ever need. We look at Jesus and we see who he is, his character. We see that he is compassionate and kind and gentle and humble. We see that he is good. We can always objectively see that God is good. But more than that, we know that he is the hope we have for eternal life. The hope we have for eternal life free of pain and suffering. If your life is tough right now, if you feel like you're walking in thick fog where you just can't see anything good around you uh, in, in your life at the moment, I want to encourage you to look to Jesus. Find joy in Him. I'm confident you can. I'm confident you can find joy in Him no matter your circumstance because we're promised peace and blessing beyond our earthly struggles and we have a certain hope that can bring us genuine joy. Out of this joy uh, that we have in every situation, the fruit will be a gentle forbearance. It'll be tolerance to uh, that no matter what circumstance, we can actually be at peace. We can be in peace in every uh, situation in the midst of chaos. Paul knows it's not that easy just to simply rejoice. And so he continues in verse 6. Have a look. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Trials and tribulations of our life might lead us to be anxious. But Paul says there's no need. There's no need to be worried about the things around us. Rather, commit all things to prayer. I want to put a little clarifier in here. That anxiety word is a, is a heavy word. Um, there is clinical anxiety. I think that we can't just stop. There's chemical things going on in our brains which might need further intervention in other ways. But everyone... Everyone gets anxious, everyone gets worried, has general stresses in our lives that can overload us. Work, health, relationships, money, the list is endless. It seems like every aspect of our life at some point can bring us anxiety and stress. But Paul says, don't be anxious. In every situation through prayer and petition, which means asking that our needs might be met, with thanksgiving with rejoicing in the Lord, come to God. Our prayer life is going to be a reflection of our trust in God. When we pray, we give over to God uh, every concern and trouble and trial we have and we say, God, it's in your hands. It's in your hands, God. The truth is, no matter what is going on in our lives, we can go to God in prayer. He is approachable and he has the power to work in and through every circumstance. 
God hears every word we speak to him. He listens to us. But here's how we experience peace. When we talk to God about our struggles, whether he answers our prayers the way we want him to or not, when we bring to him our struggles, we can know that God works for the good of those who love him. Our trials may push us. They may stretch us. But God works in both good and hard times. I think especially in hard times to shape and mould us to be people like Jesus. When we give our worries, when we give our anxieties to God in prayer, we're trusting him. We're trusting that he will do what is right, no matter the circumstance. Because we know that he is in control. He is in control and he will do what is good and right. We know that about God. When we pray, we demonstrate our trust. And when we trust, we can have peace. And notice all of what it says in verse 7. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we're up against it all, the peace of God beyond understanding will guard our hearts and minds until we reach the prize. In Jesus, the peace of God will carry us home. God's word has shown us that the road home, that the road toward the goal, the prize of heaven, being in the presence of God, being ultimately fully saved and redeemed by Jesus, is going to be a bumpy ride. It isn't going to be easy. But if we're eager for what is to come, if we surround ourselves with people who, is, who are eager, to, uh, eager for that goal and prize, our journey home will be easier. If we're a united church, if we're committed to doing life together and straining toward the goal with each other, the road home is going to be easier. If in all circumstances we rejoice, pray and trust in Jesus, the peace of Christ will alleviate the anxieties that we might have as we travel home. Fix your eyes on the prize. Do all you can to reach the goal with the help of the God of peace. Let's pray. Father, as we run and strain toward the prize, help us not to focus on ourselves or the things around us, but Help us to thirst for eternity with you. Lord, help us to be a church family that is united, that runs the race together. In all circumstances, Lord, help us to rejoice and pray. Help us to trust you and find peace in the messiness of life. We ask all this so that we would reach the goal and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.